0: All right, let's go to the lesson here. The title of this lesson is Religion Without Christ is Deadly. And that may seem like a strange title. But the reason I titled it this way, this set of scriptures that we're going to, this episode in the life of Christ, where he's dealing again with religious people, sincere, religious, moral, pillars of the community, uh, leaders who claimed to believe the Bible, but they didn't. They twisted the scripture. The Pharisees, the, you know, we talk about the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Uh, we talk about the, uh, uh, the, uh, what, what they call the lawyers, but the scribes. Uh, and uh, and you remember, they were lawyers in the sense that they, they studied the law of Moses. And that's they were supposed to be experts, they commented on it, they wrote commentaries like that. And the Lord is dealing with these, and, and these were the most adamant uh, opposers and enemies of Christ, the most religious. And in this passage of Scripture, we're taught one of the most fundamental uh, truths. Uh, of gospel light without which you can't really understand the Bible. Without which you can't really understand the concept of holiness and goodness and righteousness. Whenever God speaks in his word of goodness, you know, what does he say about us? There's none good, no, not one. Uh, You remember Christ when the rich young man approached him and said, good master, not believing that, that Jesus of Nazareth was God in ma- manifest in the flesh, which he is. And this, and this young man said, good master. And so Christ confronted him with the, the concept, the standard of goodness that could only be found in God. And he said, well, why do you call me good if you don't believe that I'm God? Because God is the standard of goodness. And in comparison to that, none of us are Good. Now that doesn't mean we can't be religious or can't be moral in the eyes of people, human beings, and and looked up to in the community. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's the question of questions in the Bible. How can a sinner be righteous before God? We must, in in order to live eternally in glory, in communion and fellowship with the Father. We have to be righteous. Well, what is that standard of righteousness? How righteous do we have to be? How how can we become righteous? That's the question of questions. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the uh, scribes, they said, well, keep the law. Do your best to keep the law. And Christ came along and he said, that's not good enough, fellas. That won't make it. You will always fall short of that standard. And that's why he came to this world. He said it at his baptism. When he told John, suffer it to be so that we might fulfill all righteousness. And he pictured that in his death, burial, and resurrection in his own baptism. What does it take? for righteousness to be established. It takes the obedience unto death of Christ. And anything less is sin, iniquity. And so these are the issues. And so what he's teaching here, listen, listen to what happens. Look at verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. We want a sign. Now, you know what the Bible says about that. It says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Over in 1 Corinthians 1, when he's talking about those who are in a state of perishing because they don't don't know the truth of the cross. uh, The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them. In other words, the preaching of goodness and holiness and righteousness by the obedience unto death of Christ, that's foolish. You've got to do something. You've got to be good. At least you've got to try. And, and so that's fool, the, the gospel's foolishness to them. Righteousness by another. Imputed righteousness is imputed nonsense to most of them. If they even know what it is. <laughs> and so they seek after a sign. Remember he said the Greeks, they seek after wisdom, talking about worldly wisdom, philosophy, human philosophy, human wisdom. And the Jews seek after a sign. We want a sign. People today want a sign. And so he he said we'd see a sign. Well, what what that tells you is this. They will not accept The authority of God's word. That's what faith is based on. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his word. It's not a sign. Signs can be deceiving. But think about what they had already seen. They'd already seen this this person do such marvelous things, miracles upon miracles, healed the sick, cleansed the lepers. I've got it all listed here, cast out demons, fed thousands with just a few loaves and fishes, raised the dead. And they say, Well, we want to see a sign. Now, their request here was just mere pretense. They, what, what they're saying here is this. We're just not going to believe that you're the Messiah. You don't say what we want to hear. If you were the Messiah, you would come down here and pat us on the back and, and exalt us among the people and say, Well done, fellas. <laughs> That's what you'd say if you were the true Messiah. But that's not what he would say. And that's not what he did say. So they deliberately closed their eyes to the truth. Because they didn't want to be converted. Remember Matthew, we'll, we'll see that over Matthew 13 in the kingdom parables. They have shut their eyes and, sh- and closed their ear, Close their eyes and shut their ears. Because they don't, lest they be converted. Now what does that conversion involve? It involves repentance of everything that they highly esteemed and was proud of You mean to tell me that these things that I'm I'm doing to get right with God that they're they're uh, they're evil They're done <laughs> I don't want to I don't want that kind of religion I don't want to be converted that's what that say And so they wouldn't affirm that Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth, was the promised Messiah. Well, look at verse 39. He answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. In other words, the word of God's not good enough. And if the word of God is not good enough for you, that's evil. Whatever God says... And you know, I've heard people say, uh, you know, about things that they don't want to hear, they don't like to hear. And sometimes you'll read it directly from Scripture. <laughs> read Romans 9 to them. Passages like that. And that, oh, we got to see a sign. We've got to have a feeling. We've got to have an emotion. we got to see something in the clouds. we got to see a vision. And those things are so deceptive. Do you know those are the kinds of things that Satan uses to deceive the world? And sent sometimes by God as judgment. Think about it. Dreams and visions. Isaiah dealt with that when he talked about wizards that peep. He said in Isaiah chapter 8, what he's talking about is uh, liars. Liars who see visions and dream dreams and they tell their dreams. Now, God did use dreams sometimes to uh, manifest his truth. Daniel had the gift of, of uh, interpreting dreams. Joseph had that gift. But it was all in line and in accordance with the word of God and the gospel. Let me tell you something. Any, any religious experience or feeling or vision that anybody sees... Whatever it's in a dream or in their head, whatever. Whether it's a mass of them or just one individual. If it's not consistent with the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace. Of salvation conditioned on Christ. Based upon his blood and righteousness alone. It's a lie. And that's why Isaiah said in verse 20 of Isaiah. If they speak not according to this word, no light in them. Mark it down. Well, the the people of our Lord's day were ungodly and unfaithful. And it was typical of them to seek after a sign. That's how they were known. The Jews seek after a sign. But faith, God-given faith, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know that's a revelation of the power of God in Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Jew first and Greek also. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that's how it comes. But you know what? Uh, uh, And I've got this in your lesson here. You know, talking about faith based upon seeing things, seeing miracles. You know, the Lord said that, that even eyewitnesses to his resurrection, that alone could not create faith. And you remember when he uh, told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man who went to hell, and he looked up in his torment, and he said, send Lazarus back to, to tell my brothers so that they won't end up here where I am. And the Lord said, though they see one raised from the dead, they will not believe. Now that is a testimony to the depravity and obstinacy of man. Natural. Will not receive the things of the Spirit of God. It takes the power of the Spirit in invincible, irresistible grace to bring a sinner to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, look at verse 40, He said, or verse 39 again. He says, but he answered and, he, and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, now, what is that about? Well, you know the story of Jonah. Everybody says Jonah and the whale. If Jonah and a great fish, probably a whale, but we don't know. But look at verse 40. Here he explains what he means by this. For as Jonas, that's Jonah, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, there's the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about his own death, burial, and resurrection. And I, I, I put in your lesson here one thing that you, that that's I, I think very significant here is that the Lord Himself put His stamp of approval on the Old Testament record of Jonah. This wasn't just a myth or a fable, as some would have us believe, try to have us believe today. This was a real historical event. There was a prophet named Jonah. He was commanded by God to go and preach in the in the place of Nineveh. A very wicked place. He didn't want to go. <laughs> he's, the, he's called the reluctant evangelist. And he started out to go somewhere else, but God had other plans. And when he caused the storm and they threw him overboard and he was swallowed by a whale, a great fish. And he was vomited up on the shore. And you know the whole story, of John. We won't go into the whole thing. But this is a, what Jonah did was a picture of Christ. And that's that's why he says, uh, look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. The men of, uh, the people of Nineveh were brought to repentance through the preaching of Jonah the prophet. They were brought to repentance. Now, what all that involves with them, we don't know, but it, that's just what the Bible tells us. They were brought to repentance, and it says because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and we know all the prophets, what did they do? Their message was God's grace in Christ, the promised Messiah. It wasn't just straighten up and fly right and God will uh, save savior, because salvation has never been by works. It's always been by grace, Old Testament and new. Every Old Testament believer was saved by grace and not by works. So they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Well, what did Jonah preach? He preached the gospel. And he learned himself firsthand knowledge, salvation of the Lord. Salvation is not conditioned on men and women, sinners. Conditioned on the promised Messiah who is to come. And then Christ says, And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Now these men of Nineveh were brought by God to repentance at the preaching of Jonah. They didn't come of their own free will, as people say, because that's not what the natural man does. Faith and repentance both are the gift of God. And you all know that. And they were brought to that repentance by God through the preaching of Jonah, a prophet. Well, here, these Pharisees and these scribes and these Sadducees, they're hearing the Son of God Himself preach. One greater than Jonah. And you know who would have agreed with that? Jonah. (laughs) Just like John the Baptist. I'm not the Messiah. I can baptize you in water, but there's one coming who will baptize you in fire. That's the power of the Spirit that brings a sinner to faith in Christ and repentance of dead works. And when he says they shall condemn this generation, he doesn't mean that they're the judges who pronounce condemnation. Those who are condemned, they live and die in a state of condemnation. What he's saying is they'll testify against you. And that's what that means. Just like in a court of law. These who were brought to faith in Christ and repentance of dead works, they'll testify against those who refused. And I don't, you know, I don't believe it's going to be like a courtroom scene and you're going to be called up onto a stand or anything like that. I believe it's just the declaration of God that all who die in Christ... Washed in his blood and clothed in his righteousness, they're justified. They're glorified. And all who die without Christ, they're condemned. Our only hope is to be found in Christ, as Paul wrote. And then look at verse 42. Here he talks about the queen of the south. Now, that's the queen of Sheba. You remember the queen of Sheba who came to Solomon? It's recorded over in 1 Kings chapter 10. She had heard of the wisdom of Solomon. And what did she do? She sought him out. And she came to him. And she sat and listened to the wisdom that God gave Solomon. It says in verse 42, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation. And shall condemn it. She's going to testify against you. Think about that. Now you do realize here. That the ones that he claims are going to testify against the religious Jews. Are Gentiles. That's the Ninevites. The Queen of Sheba. They're Gentiles. Ooh. Think about that now. How, how, how insulting that was to these Pharisees and these scribes. You mean to tell me we're, we're Jews, we're circumcised, we're the people of God. We're children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you mean to tell me these, these rotten, filthy Gentiles are going to testify against us? And that's exactly what he means. Salvation by grace or not at all? Jew and Gentile. And it says, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, Solomon, Jonah, the queen of Sheba, the men and women of Nineveh, they all lived hundreds of years before the Messiah, the promised Messiah actually come. And now here he is standing here talking to the Jews the religious leaders, and they won't accept him. And what does that tell us? Well, if left to ourselves, we'd be just like them. Isn't that right? We'd be no different. However we responded, if God left us to ourselves, we'd be, we'd be in a mess. Well, here's one greater than Solomon. And you think about Christ. Solomon, you know, the Lord testified... Of Solomon's great wisdom. You remember that? Well Christ is himself. The very embodiment. Of the wisdom of God. How God can be just and justify the ungodly. Save sinners by his grace. Based upon his righteousness alone. His righteousness imputed. And the power of God to give life. Because righteousness demands life. The spirit is life because of righteousness. And here he is. Well, these last verses, look at verse 43. He says, "And when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through the dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and when he's come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. It sounds like a parable, doesn't it? But it, but it's a story. It's an illustration. An unclean spirit leaves a person, but he's empty, he's swept, he's garnished. Then goeth he, verse 45, Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, And the last state of that man is worse than the first. He's worse off. Now he's swept and he's garnished. But he's empty. Until evil spirits fill him. And that number seven, that's the completeness of it. And even, uh, it says, He even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now to understand what he's saying here, I've got cited in your lesson Matthew 23, verse 15. Now this is what Christ later on says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 15. It's in your lesson there. Well, listen to this verse because this explains what he means by this. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Now, what's a proselyte? That's a convert. So they were were going out in a missionary way into the Gentile world to make converts to their religion. Come with us. Believe what we believe and you'll be saved. You'll be right with God. Now, what were they telling these Gentiles? Get busy, get circumcised, you men. Get busy keeping the law for righteousness. Well look what he says in, in Matthew 23:15, "And when he is made, when you get a Gentile convert to do what you tell him to do, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. What a statement. You're leading sinners to hell. That's what he's saying. You're not leading them to God. You're not leading them to heaven with your message. You're leading them on the broad road that leads to destruction. And why is that? Well, you know how the Jews looked at the Gentiles. Now, you know the Gentiles, in the Gentile world, you had all kinds of people, just like you had them in the Jewish, just like we have in our world today. You have religious people, you have moral people, you have uh, law-abiding citizens, you have uh, religious, sincere, dedicated, then you have your scoundrels, just like we have today. But the Jews looked at the Gentiles as all of them being scoundrels, especially idolatry. So they'd go get them, and they would use their false message of the law to sweep out and garnish that idolatry as they saw it and that immorality and get those Gentiles reformed, get them circumcised, get them under the law of Moses, trying to keep the law to be saved. And then that's the seven other spirits that come in and give them an assurance that they are okay based upon their works. And they're worse off than they were before. Because now they have a hope and an assurance, but it's false. Now I know that in our lives we've confronted people who have come from, well you might say from, uh, uh, from the scum of society to religion. I had a man standing right here one time after a, a, a gospel preacher preached a message and he told me he knew he was saved when he put down the cigarettes well he'd been swept and garnished but it was religion without Christ and religion without Christ is religion without truth And religion without truth is religion without grace. It's an outward reformation that that seals a sinner into a false profession, but there's no heart there as far as a heart of grace, a new heart. There's no spirit, the spirit of God. And that's what, it's a sinner, he's been led astray, he's entrenched in false religious experiences and professions. And he's much worse than he was before, even in his immorality. I put in here, his sin is now cloaked in a pretense of religion and outward appearance of righteousness and spirituality, unaccompanied by a renewed mind and heart with no true God-given life, faith, or repentance. And think about, think about what people say that really just seals him into that. Everybody tells him, I know you're saved. You know, He's got the testimony of men. You know what Christ said about the Pharisees? He says, you do indeed appear righteous unto men, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones like an open grave. That's what he means by this. Well, you say something well, shouldn't people reform? Well, if they if they need reformation in their lives, they do. But when we talk about salvation, we're talking about a whole lot more than outward reformation. We're talking about regeneration and conversion. We're talking about faith in Christ and true repentance. Okay.